The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Outfoxed, our recommended game of the week, discuss Game Schooler misconceptions in the school of gaming, and wrap it up with our High Five AEG games. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, Dr. Michael McCabe. How's it going, Michael? Man, it's going great, Doug. How are you? I am fantastic. Good. Let's just dive in. I've got some stuff I want to follow up from last week, if that's all right. Dive. Deep end. Go. All right. First of all, I promise not to cough on you this week. Hey, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> We're in the same bubble. We're good. <laughs> We're in the same bubble. Um, the other thing I wanted to follow up on is uh, we talked about Machi Kuro 2 last week. We did. And we always recommend or try to recommend games that are in stock, right? Uh-oh. And this is in stock on the uh, publisher level. Okay. So if you go to pandasaurusgames.com, you can buy it there right now. Uh, I'm assuming it will start getting back out into regular hobby distribution as well. So if somebody went looking for it last week and they couldn't find it on the, the big online stores. Send um, all hate mail to Doug. Yeah, it's, it is available. Uh, we got some nice feedback on our School of Gaming segment last week, which was nice. Yes, we um, did. Which was, we talked about Freedom the Underground Railroad, uh, excellent game, and just talked about some of the ins and outs of, of that game. Any follow-up from you on that? No. Nope. All right, moving on along. Our YouTube is now live, so you can check out our videos of our high fives are on there uh, right now. You can find those on our Twitter feed, on Facebook, and there are blog posts on the website that update you on that as well. Um, well, you did hit the ground running. Yeah, sorry. I'm knocking this no, stuff this out, of, out of the thing. Um, all right. Did you get any games this week? I did not, Doug. I did not Look acquire at a single game. How about you? Uh, I cannot say the same thing. Tell me. Tell me. I'm listening. I always so, like when you buy games. All right. Because <laughs> you will play them. Yes, um, I will. So I acquired So Clover, nice. which is a follow-up from the folks that did Just, just one, one, right? So yeah. a lot of similarities there. Interested to get that to the table. Got Welcome to the Moon, which is the follow-up to Welcome to. They did Welcome to Las Vegas, I think, and then... Now, does it look like a bigger box, or was it just a very extreme close-up in the picture that you had texted me? Is, it, it, is the Welcome to a larger box? It's a thicker box. Okay. A uh, deeper box, but okay. not necessarily a bigger footprint. Okay. Um, and that is a campaign style game so it's still a roll and write game but you are going through six different adventures so it kind of mixes it up as the game goes along so interesting interested in in testing that one out um the last one i got is mysterium park and this is a streamlined version of mysterium which incidentally i played with my girls last night and it was quite fun it's a mysterium park or mysterium which one did you play we played mysterium park oh nice and so i obviously like the lesser it comes in a smaller footprint box so you always appreciate i appreciate that and it's basically in mysterium park you're trying to uh your one player play acts as the ghost giving visions to the psychics that are around the table it's a cooperative game and then you're trying to give them visions so they know who is innocent And you're going through the suspects and getting rid of uh, a certain number of suspects and then trying to get rid of and eliminate locations. Then if you're able to do that in six rounds, you go to a final round trying to determine who the actual suspect and the location is. But you only get two cards. Okay. So it's a great game. I I I was kind of leery on how it's going to work. I'm playing it with a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old. And it was Really cool that it was that next step above Similo. Oh, cool. Right? And almost bridge From a deduction and analysis standpoint? Yeah. You're yeah. Getting, getting that little of like, what do they actually mean by that clue that they're trying to give me? Um, but it's a little bit more abstract. It's a little 
uh, less on the nose where sometimes Similo can be. And so it was a really good experience. I'm interested. We're talking about out, out Fox later in the episode. Is this that game also fits in that same kind of genre of cooperative deduction? Yeah. Um, where where Out Group Fox discussion? Is, yeah, a little bit more like Clue, but uh, still an interesting uh, discovery. And I'm looking forward to to going into it deeper. How long did it take you to play? What'd you get through oh, a teach in a game? Twenty so, minutes. Oh, that's perfect. That's so, really good. So pretty speedy. How about you? What'd you play this week? So Anything? I played some Power Failure yesterday, which was a recommended game of the week in episode thirty-seven. Uh, played that with my oldest kiddo, Josie, and I just played last night. What I've been doing lately is just trying to play a game with with an individual in my house to just bond a little bit. Um, that was the only one that I got to the table outside of the games that, that we've reviewed yeah. uh, recently. So so any games that you want to highlight from last week that we played? Uh, well, I could talk about all three of them. I mean, well, how deep do you want me to go here? Let's pick I, one I, out. Let's talk about it. Well, the fall, we're, since we're on the theme of follow-ups, let's talk about Museum Pictura. Am sure. I pronouncing that correctly? I believe so, yes. That was a fantastic <laughs> game in which you are trying to build – uh, art museum collection and it plays very similarly as the the flagship game in that line museum yep uh, the the art is outstanding the iconography everything flows together really well the gameplay is fun you can actually take cards out of your opponent's discard pile which I thought was a cool little feature uh, game played in about 45 minutes to an hour, certainly one that I think we'll be adding to our family collection and one that I think will possibly be a recommended game of the week and and one of those upper-level game schooler games as well when we talk about middle school, high school games with lots of replayability and once you get the mechanics down, it's just fun. It took me yeah. a little while. I didn't. It took me about halfway through the game to really figure out how the game worked um, and we just had the initial play of it, but I was impressed. What, what was yeah. your take on that? Well, it's always interesting. It's a it's a great game that has those push and pull elements, and it's it's a, that's a concept that I really like in games. It's like high on my list of there's so much I can do and I can't do everything. Those yeah. little crunchy decisions that you have to make, and this one is a balance between, um, in order to put cards in your museum in your art gallery, you have to discard other cards, mm-hmm. and you can only hold so many cards. And so you're usually getting to a point where you're giving up and putting in your discard pile good cards, good artwork that you want to put in your gallery. And if you have too much stuff in your, you know, in your storage and your, your inventory, that discard pile, you're getting negative points at the end of the game. So it's this constant balance of, you know, I, I'm always a fan of thematic ties, and it does feel like that bit of curating a museum yeah right it was like i've got all these great paintings i want to put them out but i I, you know i gotta put this i only have so much wall space all that type of thing is is abstracted but i feel like it's still there yeah it allows you to go for it too which i really like i think it's a game that's going to come up on a lot of high five lists over the next few years for for each of us Uh, it's a game that we both really seem to enjoy well and there's a stack i don't know off the top of my head but of of painting cards that is what you're putting in your museum and it's got to be yeah. 120 150 cards yeah absolutely and each one of them has the the painting you know and these are actual paintings these are right. not Rembrandt up, Renoir you know, Van Gogh made up paintings and it tells you you know those are artists Doug oh, they are yes okay, I thought they were candy bars okay <laughs> they, they have the um, what they were uh, like oil on canvas where it's located yep. you know whether you can see it if it's in a private collection all that type of stuff. So a lot of educational value in there below the surface on a a subject level, right? Yeah, I liked all of the games we played, but from a game schooling standpoint, that seemed to be um, the the biggest home run right off the bat from first play. And especially when when you start combining those skills and subjects in a single game, those those ones tend to rise up to the top. Uh, The other thing I want to talk about is we've been, Michael and I have been having discussions back and forth and just kind of wanted to reiterate... uh, you know, we're always looking to try and spread our mission. Michael's looking at me. Where are where you going are you with going? this? Yeah, yeah. Are um, we talking brisket? Are we talking pork? Where are we're we talking going? meat sweats, everybody. Meat sweats. No. So we're always looking to spread our mission. We're always looking at ways that, you know, how can we uh, appeal to more people, get our, 
our message out there and stuff like that. So one, obviously, if if you know anybody that's interested in what we're talking about, share our podcast with them. Let us know. Let them know what we're doing. Um, but I wanted to, you know, we're here trying to spread our mission, and I wanted to reiterate that to our listeners. If you're just here for the first time. Um, and here's our mission. Game Schooler utilizes modern tabletop games to develop skills in entertaining and innovative ways to increase engagement while bringing people together in an offline world. So the idea of bringing families and people together in an offline world, disconnect from one another and develop those skills. Disconnect from devices to connect yes, with one another. Yes, that, exactly. No, <laughs> shut down, go in a room, play a solo game. That's what we're advocating. No, uh, disconnect from the devices, connect with each other, and, and le- <laughs> learn those skills while you're playing and, and having fun. So anything else to add to that? I mean, that's... No, I'm, I'm glad you stated that. I think if we're restating, I mean, he's Doug. I'm Michael. We're the Game Schooler podcast at gameschooler.com. Uh, I was a classroom teacher and a middle school principal. Yeah, and Doug has been a lifelong gamer who paints minis at a rapid clip. And um, we just really want to continue to spread that mission and to bring more people into the hobby and get together and play games and get better while we're doing it. Yeah, and certainly feel free to reach out and contact us with questions, uh, comments, anything like that. You can reach us at email, email at gameschooler.com. Uh, there's a contact form on our website. You can direct message us on Twitter, Facebook, all of those good things. Uh, so that's about it. Uh, without further ado, let's move on to the recommended game of the week. The Recommended Game of the Week! (laughs) The Recommended Game of the Week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection, and it passes our stringent criteria... Oh, it's so stringent. ...for quality and content. This week's game is Outfoxed by GameRight. Doug, give us the stats. Published in 2014, the designer is Shannon Lyon, Marissa Pena... Colt Tipton Johnson. The art is by Melanie Grandegarard. Two to four players, 20 minutes, ages five and up. The community says four to ten. That's the board game geek community for those of you keeping track at home. We're going to talk more about that later. Yep. And it is a 2017 Kinderspiel de Jahres recommended game. So that is the uh, children's version of the Spiel de Jahres, uh, which is the German game of the year, big time Best award. Best kids game of the year. Yep. And so, according to the publisher, Miss Plumpert's prized pot pie has gone missing, and now it's a chicken chase to crack the case. In Outfox, you move around the board to gather clues, then use the special evidence scanner to rule out suspects. You have to work together quickly because the guilty fox is hightailing it towards the exit. Will you halt the hungry hooligan before it flies the coop, or will you be outfoxed? So, I love alliteration. I'm all about alliteration. But can you imagine working for Game Right and coming up with copy and taking it to your boss and having them say, there's not enough alliteration in yeah. here. You need to get more H's and more of the click, clack, click, clacks together. And I nailed it. <laughs> you did a yeah, great as job. As a delivery, I I'm nailed that. I'm over here laughing at you. <laughs> no, that was great. There's no fumbling and bumbling. No. Uh, so outfoxed during the game, it is a cooperative game, and on your turn, you are going to be rolling a set of three dice, and you are choosing whether you're going to chase after clues or suspects. And you have to announce that before the dice roll. Before you start rolling. And so if you're going for suspects, you're looking for magnifying glass faces on the dice, and if you're going for clues, you're looking for paw prints. And so you roll your dice, and if they all come up what you said... You were going after, so if I was said I was going for suspects and I rolled all magnifying glasses, good, I'm successful. If not, one of them's a paw, I can re-roll that dice, can re-roll up to two times after that, so three total rolls to try and meet my objective. If uh, I roll f- successfully for suspects, there are 16 uh, suspect foxes around the game board and they're all face down. A couple are face up to start the game. But basically, you're going to be flipping those over uh, right side up so you can see the actual suspects. If you go and roll for clues, the number of paw prints that you roll determine how far you can move on the board. And you're going to be moving around the board to get these little oval-shaped clue markers, which then go into this plastic 
uh, scanner type device. You put that little clue thing. So if it says gloves, you put it over the open window and then you slide it open and it tells you whether the suspect you're looking for wears gloves or not. And so you're trying to collect these clues to then cross people off of your list, the suspects off the list. If you don't successfully roll, so for example, if I go for uh, clues and I roll a bunch of magnifying glasses after three turns, that fox is going to be moving closer and closer to the exit. You move the fox three spaces each time you have an unsuccessful roll. Yep. So he's getting closer and closer to the exit. If you figure out who the suspect is or the culprit is before the fox leaves, you win. If the fox exits before you can figure that out, you lose. Uh, so... Anything I'm missing? I think that's. No, I think that's, everybody just learned the game. That's you just did a full games <laughs> teach on air. That that was really good. Um, there's each character has a little Sherlock Holmes style hat. I should have yep. looked up what the precise name of that hat is. It's a derby it, with flaps. Derby with flaps? No, <laughs> no, that's not right. Don't just, make me go Ron Burgundy <laughs> on the Game Schooler podcast. And. You move your hat around the board. So what I really like about the game, uh, many things I like about the game, but the the player movement on the board is great for those young gamers. Mm -hmm. And you kind of get to divide and conquer the board a little bit, even in a cooperative game. So you're not actually holding your kid's hand while they play the game. They're able to play the game independently in a cooperative with deduction, uh, you know, there's so many good things to talk about. Well, and we talk a lot about the idea of playing with younger gamers and just playing as part of the battle, right? Yeah. And in this game, as as simple and rudimentary as it seems, just teaching your kids to move orthogonally on a grid is something that they pick up from this great game. Why don't you define orthogonally for that our is listeners? Up or Doug? down, left or right, yep. not diagonally. Up, down, up, down, left, right. No a, B, a, B, A, B, start. Yep. Um, so that is one of the things that as my kids have progressed through this game or started, I can see them get that skill. I was like, no, you have to count all of these spaces to get to that clue. Yeah. You can't just, you know, they're they're not counting accurately and they're going diagonal. It's like, nope, you got to go here, here, here. Whoops, you didn't make it. Or, yeah, you can get there. You just have to go this way. So I like that, even though it's such a simple rudimentary skill of going up and down and left and right and counting spaces, but it works with this age group. Yeah, the other the other piece when you get a clue and you put it in, what did you call it? Did you use the technical uh, term? We call it the James Bond decoder ring in our okay, house. Okay, yes. No, it, the, the copy says it's a scanner. Scanner. An okay, evidence great. scanner. <laughs> so you get your clue and you put it in the evidence scanner and then you Trademark. open it up and if it's green, the suspect is it does not have that clue is not wearing that item if it's red then the suspect has that clue that item the handkerchief the hat the purse on them and when a kiddo puts the clue in the decoder and sees yes there's the pearl necklace that could be our suspect you get high five moments from your kids in this game mm -hmm. uh, and how awesome is that huh well and that scanner is pretty cool a pretty cool component yeah. you know that that's included in a game and we don't talk about this a, a ton but the components and quality of this game for the price point oh it's fantastic i, I don't know what kind of wizardry and sorcery that game right does to be able to do that to put this much game in a box is pretty remarkable and it all fits back together nicely yeah too, great insert it? it's yep. not just a, a thrown together i'll just throw the stuff back in the box everything's got its space it stays there that that evidence scanner is awesome. All of the the uh, clue tokens are a special shape, so it's not like yep. you know just a high quality game, especially for the price. Uh, the other thing I love is that this is a great cooperative game for the age range that it fits. Right for four to ten. Yes, and it's that there are not a lot of cooperative games in that age range that are catering to that six and seven year old. Uh, wheelhouse and this does it in such a great way that i've really seen the kids get excited for one another when like yes you got those things we can flip over that everybody really gets excited even though these are simple actions the the mechanisms of the game are very simple 
and it still manages to elicit that excitement. You referenced the, the high five moments. It, it works on that yeah. age level to have those high five moments. And the, the turns are fast. And because it's cooperative, everybody's invested from turn to turn. You've got kids that are really engrossed paying attention to this game. And the turns go fast. So it's kind of a double whammy there, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we... Game right really should send us review copies, Doug, because is this the third or fourth Could game be, right yeah. game that we've yeah. done? Yeah, Happy City, Forbidden Island, I think. Yeah, and now the, and now out Fox and I have talked ad nauseum about Sleeping Queens, but this game gave those same moments for my six-year-old who's been playing game right games since she was about three of the yes and putting her in the driver's seat for making decisions. And not just telling me what to do on my turn, although Eliza tried that, but on her turn, before rolling the dice, I know I mentioned this earlier, but I think it's a really key point. You have to decide and you have to stick to that decision. Yeah. Are you looking for paw prints so you can move and go look for clues? Or are you looking for eyeballs, or as Doug called them, the magnifying glass? Oh, yeah, they're, yeah so they, they are eyeballs. <laughs> reveal the suspect. Yep. And then you get the old Yahtzee, the old, or Dice Throne, a game that you and I enjoy, <laughs> a little bit different genre, but you roll it once, you roll it twice, and that third time you feel the anticipation, and when it rolls right, that's another one of those yes moments. So there are multiple layers of high five, yes, satisfaction moments within the game, Yeah, and I don't know of any other game catered to four to ten-year-olds that has that. Yeah, and one of the things I like about this game as well, and I think it does a really good job, especially for the age group, is that this game is very easy to adjust the difficulty. Mm -hmm. So if it's really easy, you can have that fox move five spaces instead of three every time you miss. Or if it's a little too hard for you or your your kids are struggling, you make them move one or two spaces. Or you keep it at three spaces and you move them farther down the track so he starts earlier. Mm, so some good. of those things that you can do that don't alter the game in any way yeah, just to, the difficulty. to flex that difficulty, which I think helps stretch it a little bit higher uh, than than maybe the community. You know, it it makes it palatable for 11, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, can I, mean, I jump in on that? Yeah, I mean, quick? that's one of the concerns I have. I know you have. We talked about it last week. Right. Well, So my 13-year-old didn't have any interest in playing this, but my my six-year-old who, who's in kindergarten, you know, about to wrap up kindergarten here in a few weeks, had a blast playing it yep. and immediately you know told my wife we got to get that game we got to buy that game because doug was generous enough to let me borrow his copy <laughs> so she was all about daddy don't give it back yet we got to get that game <laughs> and so that got the whole house curious people wanted to try it out my wife wanted to play it for our nine-year-old she had a fun time you know she's in fourth grade and she's played a lot of different games but but i would say she was at about the end of the outfoxed spectrum whereas i yeah. think for that kindergarten to third grade range this is a perfect game but there is I, i'd say there is a ceiling yeah now i'm a 40 year old man and I, I loved it i'd play it i'd play it again right after the podcast if you want to so that might say more about me <laughs> than the game but i think if you're game schooling this keep that in mind this is an elementary uh late elementary school game yeah and i think that's i i've had a similar experience where my 10 year old uh, played this when she was six, okay. you know, or in, or younger. I don't know when I got the game. When it published in 2014, so you know, say I got a 2015. You know, she's been playing it since she's been five, and she's now ten. And I've got a six-year-old who's right in in the age with yours mm -hmm. that it's her favorite game. She wants to play it all the time. And the last time we played it, we played it with the ten-year-old, and she was invested. It was like yeah. it's not the most gripping game. However, I think she would totally dig it if you adjust those difficulty okay. levels and it, it become because then the stakes are even higher every time you roll. And I think that's the, the kind of the kicker for the the older that you get. It's like, all right, well, we're gonna win this. This is not gonna be that big of a problem. Yeah. Um, but if you crank up that difficulty, it can become a, a little pressure cooker. And I think you can. I'm not saying it eliminates the ceiling because I don't think it does, but I think you can potentially stretch it if you need to. Any but areas of concern? With that's the, the only done? one is just okay. being aware of it is like this is not a game that you're going to sit down and play with your 16 and 17 year old kids. 
Um, there'd be a lot other suggestions that I would make before I did that. Yeah, my only thing, and it's it's not a nitpick. There's the rules are two pages. Just read the rules before you start to play, um, because I'm a guy that let, let's play the game, let's get it going, and then consult the rules. And with me and my six year old, that tends to work really well. My <laughs> my wife is a read the whole rule book and ingest the rules before I ever play a single turn. So for for folks here in, in the United States, uh, red is typically like a stop or a, a, a bad, and a green is a good and go. I mean, we have a stoplight system where you stop at a red and you go at a green. And, and she could not get used to a red clue means that that suspect is in play. Yeah. And I explained it three different times, three different ways. Finally, I threw the rule book at her and said, here, go ahead, read the rule book. You almost need to think of it as an alert. Yeah. It's like, alert, Alert. something is different. Um, So that's just for any uh, educators, or if you you are going to play this, that is the only rule to be aware of. So I just want our listeners to be aware of it, because I think you pretty much taught the game in the first three minutes of this segment. Well, and it was Um, on your list of teach-as-you-play games. And and I I, did, and I had fun with my six-year-old, with with my best friend and wife, not so much. But um, (laughs) it, it is. This is a game that I think you can set it up on the kidney table and play it right with the kids. I don't think it requires a mini lesson or an elaborate rules teach. Yep. All right. So there are a lot of skills in a game like this and Michael and I each make a list and we want to talk about those skills and highlight them, give them some special attention. We each start out with a core skill. Our core skills are skills that we think are in every game, no matter what it is that those skills are possible to pull out. And we like to highlight some of them that we think do an extra good job at uh, fulfilling that and and help develop that skill. So you want to start off, Michael? I do. My core skill is process information, a game in which students must examine or analyze information. As that box is making its way down the trail, there comes a point where you really need to start turning over some suspect cards. Maybe you have enough clues, but you don't have enough suspects. And just that ability to to process and put those little pieces together. The thing that you talked about earlier with you cannot move diagonally. You must move orthogonally. And for a four-, or five-, six-year-old to, to move your characters and to be able to count three spaces, four spaces, there's a little bit of math. There's a little bit of early reading skills that are in here. And putting all that together, my core skill is being able to process information. Yeah, that's my core skill as well. And it certainly pops up with the deduction element of this game. Yeah. When you are processing, okay, these are the clues that we have. Which suspects fit these clues? Um, and And that that tug of war of, all right, we've got a bunch of suspects, but we don't know anything about the clues or we've got some great clues, but we don't have suspects. So that kind of push and pull of which one you're going after at any given moment. Um, and even those times where you have to think, oh, geez, I am certainly going to be two turns away from getting another clue based on where I am on the board. So that sometimes those might be kind of like wasted or even saying to to your uh one of your other players is saying you go for a clue because you're closer and then I'll do a suspect, you know, and kind of a lot of, there's a lot of little moving parts. They're very simple, but for that age level, there's a lot of information for them to be processing. Good. Good. And uh, another clue I have is spatial perception. (laughs) Another clue or another skill? Another skill. (laughs) Way to listen, Doug. Thank you. Another skill is spatial perception, a game that strengthens a student's understanding of the spatial relationships with the objects in their environment and themselves. Doug just mentioned something that I think is critical. As the clues start to become revealed, uh, especially in a two-player game, it may take more than one turn to travel to a clue. Mm -hmm. And so just being able to count out how many squares there are and understand, well, it's going to take two no matter what, um, that level of spatial perception, and as the fox gets closer, yeah. there's a point where you realize, like, oh my goodness, we only have two turns before the fox escapes with a pot pie and gets into the foxhole, so we better get this done now. Well, and I think I don't have that on my list, but it's a great choice. The 
you know, a lot of times when we're talking about spatial perception, we're talking about the idea of looking at huge maps or being able to move something from one place. And it's like, this is spatial perception for that four, four to four 10 to range, ten yeah. you know, which is much more simple than what we're used to talking about here on the, on the podcast. So I think that's a great one. Another one, I think there's another core skill that's in there is direction following. Oh yeah. Uh, a game that urges players to play according to a set of rules and constraints dictated by the game designer. So that we've touched about it, touched on it several times, but that idea of you need to pick before you roll. Mm-hmm. And that's a constant reminder that when you're playing with younger players, like, Nope, make sure you pick first. And there's that, that thing of, Oh, I wanted to get suspects, but I rolled all paw prints. Can I change? All three times. You know, it's like, nope, you. that's yep. a great roll if you said you were going for clues, but you didn't. So, And just that gentle reminder of like, yes, you can do this. You can't do that. It's not but, just for kids. It's also for the adults in the room. There's a little bit of that pain where it's, oh, man, the paw prints came up. Yeah. Oh. So I think this is a good game with that. Just that simple rule, the idea of direction following, and that's what you need to do. Great. And what would a cooperative be without cooperation, a game that encourages students to work together toward a common goal? I don't know if I need to say a whole lot other than um, I'm going to knock out another goal with this one, then I'll send it back to you for a few. Is that okay? Group discussion is a game that instigates the sharing of ideas, solving problems, or providing feedback within the group. You're knocking my whole list out, Michael. Oh, no. So the cooperation doesn't just happen individually. You know, we talked about uh, Forgotten Island. The, Go ahead. The, I'm just, the cooperation doesn't happen individually. No, no, no. But in in another cooperative that we have reviewed, Forgotten Island, right? Forbidden Island? Forbidden Island. Forbidden Island. There's three moves in that game. And so I can kind of think about what I want to do and then just tell people and do it. And mm-hmm. we're we're cooperating, but in this game... In every single move, I am discussing and yep. working with everybody based on what our common goal is. And those little goals stack up with the big goal of getting that suspect. So those those are a couple of my skills. How do you see it playing out in the game? No, it's the same thing. I mean, it's a, it's a very simple cooperative game for the age group. And I think it provides a lot of opportunities for that parent-child interaction with that that group discussion and saying, well, what do you think we should do? You know, because the game is simple enough that it's like, you know, as the adult, you don't need to railroad every decision. You You shouldn't. No, no, (laughs) unless you're a monster. You're a horrible monster. Not when playing out Fox. Yeah, so this gives that opportunity to, it makes it easy for the parent to say, well, what do you think we should do? And no matter what they say, you can go along with it, right? And you can... Say, well, I don't know. Do you, th- you know, I think in, when I've played, there's that thing. It was like, do you think this one is this guy still a stu- suspect, or can we get rid of this this one? You know, those those teaching moments are really present in this game. Yeah, there's a lot of setup opportunities, right? And I I am the parent that backs my child down and then dunks on them on the play school mm-hmm. hoop or on the hoop that hangs on the door. Yeah. Well, and you got to show them There's boss. video of that out there too. You have to, you know, back them down. <laughs> and even, even that being said, I'm somebody who likes to compete with, with my own children there and any human alive. Um, there's a level of setup that is just clear with this game of, well, what do you think we should do here? What do you yeah. think our best choice is? Well, why did you do that? Yeah, the last one on my list is Resilience, a game that teaches students how to quickly recover from and cope with difficulties. This one pops up in a lot of cooperative games, but there's two instances in this game where it really shines, and that is that moment we've already talked about where you, it happens twice on a turn potentially, Mm -hmm. is you say you wanted clues and you rolled suspects, and that, like, okay, you have to stick with suspect, or you, you have to stick with going after clues. And that turn where you don't do anything can be devastating for a four Very and five-year-old, yeah, yeah. you know? And so this it, game does a great job of it being cooperative, that you can be supportive and say, oh, it's no big deal. We're going to go. And there's the other part of that is that 
when that happens, you get that kind of double whammy with the foxes moving closer. Well, and, so and if the dice chucking's going well for other people at the table, yeah. there can be some of that pity party, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a great game that just kind of keeps you moving forward instead of stopping and dwelling on that issue. It's And the turns are so fast and it's cooperative that before you know it, it's going to be their turn again. And they can... I think this was is a great teaching tool that I think my daughters have learned. It's like, all right, it's not a big deal. It's just a game. Let's move on to the next turn. Like, yeah, that's good. I, so, I wish I would have had that on my list. My my last skill is tactical thinking, a game that challenges students to make decisions based on currently available and frequently changing information. Um, it it could be a stretch a little bit, but the the board does change as suspects get eliminated, and sometimes with young kids they get focused on that's the bad person that's a person who <laughs> took it and then all of a sudden mary is eliminated and mary is no longer a suspect so what are you going to do she with looked this? guilty yeah i mean to be fair but what are you going to do with this new information and so it's tactical thinking at a very very elementary level having children to be able to pivot and, and look at a different goal a different suspect um, I, I haven't had that in, in many other games that we've played and reviewed. So Yeah. All right. So that is our list of skills that are in the game Outfox by GameRight. And that is our recommended game of the week. The School of Gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll be discussing the most common misconceptions of game schooler. Yeah, so this week, I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, we address the mission statement and what we're trying to do in the opening segment here. And I just wanted to talk about some things that people may assume about game schooler and what we're trying to do and maybe why they shouldn't think that or, or dismiss it out of hand. Uh, so one of the first things that I want to uh, talk about is the idea that what we're doing or what we're trying to do is not only for little kids, Yeah. right? This is not, it, you know, we just got done talking about a, a great game that's for four to 10-year-olds, but this is not just, you know, for elementary kids. This can go all the way up to high school and the idea of bringing a family together uh, is a and, and developing some of these skills is irrelevant to to age. You know, think about the amount of kids that are in in high school that that don't know how to manage money properly or or resources. You know, we we use manage resources and when we uh, talk about game speak, but that's a foreign concept to some some kids. And just because they're in high school doesn't mean that game schooling is is not relevant or game schooler is not relevant to them. Uh, so I wanted to highlight that as, and I think people sometimes pigeonhole us in the idea of like, oh, well, that's just for, you know, third graders. Yeah. No, it stretches. There's different levels, different skills and the, the complexity of the skill. Uh, I think there's a great uh, escalation of skills that happens in tabletop gaming where you can start with a game like outfoxed and you can play a game four years later that adds a, a game like cryptid which is another kind of deduction thinking game you can play that with a 14 year old and build on those skills those are skills that age based on on the game getting more complex and, and complicated and stuff like that yeah and in teacher talk we call it scaffolding right so a lot of the skills in Outfoxed build into build into skills at middle school, at high school, and even last week's School of Gaming, we talked about a game, Freedom the Underground Railroad, that would fit best in a graduate school seminar yeah. where you would have grown adults able to really dive into a game. So I, I think that's one common misconception, that it's only for... For the the young kids, I've got another one. Can I throw it out here? Yeah, go. Is that the Game Schooler podcast is only for gamers? That is wrong. That is false. Our 
our target audience is educators and homeschoolers and, and libra- librarians, library folk. And so we're really trying to get at, yes, do we want gamers listening to the podcast? Absolutely. Thank you. We appreciate the five-star reviews. We love the discussion and the dialogue. But we we recently had a, a, a fan that, that we had talked to, or I don't know, if a fan, what do we want to say? We recently had a meeting where that was brought up where that was kind of thrown at us as as a, a possible uh, a weakness of our podcast. And it, it caused me to, to pause and to think, no, I know that we have a lot of non-gamers and new gamers and people who just get that bug of new gamer enthusiasm who are jumping into our podcast as well. So if... If there's content that, that you want or that you want us to, to talk about, please reach out and let us know that too. But that's one misconception that, that I just wanted to throw out there because yeah. I can tell you, my ma is wonderful. My ma is a lot of things. My ma is not a gamer. And, and she she's given us five-star reviews on every platform that there is. So <laughs> Might be a little nepotism involved hey, there, but there we'll, be. we'll take it. Um, yeah, I think that's a great point because and, – and the other person that uh, – group that you left out of there is just – families families ev- yeah. everyday people that are yeah. just they don't have to be gamers um so i think that's a gr- it's a great thing is it's like we are you know we obviously talk about tabletop games but there is the idea of these are broader and they can be used in education they can be used to bring families together and all that type of stuff the other thing that i think is kind of a misconception is uh structure and the idea that Game schooling and game schooler does not need to be structured. You do not need to have a grand plan to play a game. Just play the game, right? What are you looking at giving me that face for? I, I disagree, but keep going. I go, You no, go, and then I'll go. No, I'm saying you don't have to have a lesson prepared to game school. Do you, you disagree with that? No, I just think, you know, from... My third year as a teacher on, I had a lesson every time I, I, I walked in, in front of the room, and a mini lesson was made. And so that that's just where okay. my head goes. I, I get what you're saying. I just, I also okay. go ahead. Go but ahead. You, okay, but if you're a gamer and you're a, or, or you're just a dad, yeah, play games. Your kids are going to build skills. That's absolutely. That, that's my point. Is absolutely. that you don't need to be overwhelmed with the idea that you need to do something special for your kids to get the skills. But I also know the words that I have said, especially over the last handful of episodes where I've talked about my dream job would be to go and run a game schooling classroom or run a game school center. That There's a level of structure there. And I think just look at the format of our show and how we've structured the game schooling podcast. I can see why people get that misconception. So to Doug's point, no, play games, play games with your kids, and they're going to build skills. Yeah, and I, I guess that's my point is that it's like structure is fine, but you don't need to be it. Like it leads into my my other one, which is a misconception. It's like you don't need to be a trained and licensed educator to game school. Right. Right? And that and that's part of the structure thing. You don't have to have a huge – you can, and that's great if you do. If you're an educator and that's up your wheelhouse – and it, it's clearly in yours because that's what you're trained at. I'm not. I'm just Joe Blow dad, you know. So don't get discouraged and think that you have to have some big grandiose plan and we're going to follow this up with worksheets or I'm going to do some big presentation. Play the game with your kids. Yeah. You don't need to be, you don't have to have a degree in education to play a game with your kids and help them develop skills. And that's that's what I'm trying to Kind of put out there is that yes, educators will take what we're doing and librarians will take what we're doing and run with it. But if you are not one of those, don't be, you know, a homeschool, if you are a homeschool parent, don't feel like it needs to have uh, a PowerPoint presentation attached to it. Yeah, no, the level of formality. I, I get what you're saying there. I, I associate, to me, structure and routine are synonymous. And so as a teacher, I always really liked structure and as a human i really like routine personally yeah so and maybe structure is not the right term no maybe i it's think a, i think you're spot on but it doesn't have to be a formal lesson and formal the, the structure that's doesn't better. need to be a classroom yeah. game schooling can happen in a park it can happen in a car it, it can happen just about anywhere where you have a a, a reasonably flat surface and some time and and get after it, play games you're going to get better yeah yep what else do you got anything 
No, that, no, I think that addresses some of the things we've gotten in our mailbag and just some of the things that we've we've talked about with people. We really appreciate the the content that we're able to create just because people email or direct message us on Twitter. So a lot yeah. of our School of Gaming segments, especially over the last 10, 15 episodes, have come directly from listeners. And so uh, I almost said fans. Isn't it strange to think that we might actually have a few fans? Woo, that's weird. We've, um, we've got one. No. <laughs> but we, we appreciate you reaching out because it really gives us some things to unpack and to talk about with you. Yeah, and the last thing I've got is just the idea of and I don't know that it's a misconception, and it, it, it does tie in with what I was talking about with the, the formality, but is the idea of one of the things that we're trying to do here is give people permission to play games, and, and this maybe is geared more towards the gamer crowd, all right, and which is a segment of our audience for sure, but is that idea that you can just play that game with your kids, and there's justification to backend it and say, yes, because we are highlighting those skills and all the games that we recommended, that your kids are getting value out of that game. And it's okay. Like, that's a good thing. Spending time with your family, spending time with your kids, and, and playing games is, is awesome. And, and that's a great thing to be doing. And if we can give you that, that justification on the back end and say, hey, you know what? My kid just learned a whole bunch of spatial perception by playing this game. Win-win. Yeah. You know, that's, that's one of the things that I think we're here for is to give you that permission and say, yes, do that. So hopefully if you've got any other questions or concerns or, or things maybe that we didn't address or, or want to know or have clarity on, on our mission or what we're trying to do here, again, reach out to us, email at gameschooler.com or, or add to our website. That would be great. We'd love to hear from you. And if you've got nothing else, let's move on to the high five. All right, if you're anything like us, you're constantly on a hunt for new games to try out. And this week, we've got a high five list of our favorite AEG games, I'm surprised. And that's for Alderac Entertainment Group, for those of you following at home. And I'm surprised we haven't done this one before. Um, but there are a lot of games that we have recommended. And I think one of the things I want to highlight for non-gamers is that AEG has been around for, for a while as a publisher. But about... Three years ago, I think about 2019, they made a switch to focusing on less games a year. Yeah. Okay, so there's this idea of, you know, throwing spaghetti at a wall and see what sticks. And so they were kind of a publisher that just... Not allowed in our house, by the way. No, it totally is in mine. It's art, Michael. Um, so they were a company that was just pushing out, pushing out games, and, as a, and, and some of them were very good, and some of them were completely forgotten about, and the idea of, okay, we're going to slow down and produce less games, but put more effort and hopefully have more quality, and I think they have succeeded in that mission because the games that have come out since then... Unbelievable quality last Really few good. There's, yeah. a, there's not a lot of misses in there, and so... I'm pretty sure we're going to be talking about games that are on both of uh, that have been recommended yeah, on both so of our lists. It's going to be a, a good chunk there. So, without any further ado, Michael, what is your number five? Well, Doug, before I talk about number five, let's uh -oh. let's look at a scholarly term. Are you aware of the term recency bias? Ah, uh, yes, and that is that's interesting. Let's talk about that. Um, next week in our opening segment. How about well, that? that? That's fine. So you don't want me to tell people oh, what my number five game is? It's yeah. a game we just played last <laughs> no, week. No, I thought good. about it throughout the week. It's, um, well, look at, look what I wrote in my run sheet here. Meeples and Monster. My autocorrect went to Maples and Monsters. <laughs> Very <is> Canadian. <laughs> version. Hey, meeples, it's maples and Monsters. Meeples and Monsters, a game that just came out. 2022 designer is Oli Steinus. One to four players, 45 to 60 minutes. Ages 14 plus on the box. And in the community, it's eight plus, which tells you that there aren't a lot of reviewers on Board Game <laughs> Geek because the super gamers are like, I'm playing this with my six-year-old, so I'm putting it down at eight. 
Um, I think it's more towards the 10 to 12 plus. Yep. Um, it's weight, probably just a choking, one of those choking hazard yeah, things we talk about. Weight is why it's 15 or 2.25, but you are pulling uh, meeples out of a bag and you are sending them on your little tavern area and you uh, as, as they prepare and then you are sending them out to battle and you're upgrading them along the way. I had a blast when we played this game last week following the podcast. I'm really hoping we play it again this evening. Uh, it's a game that I've been thinking about throughout the last week. So probably some recency bias here. A year from now, I don't know if it would be on my top five. But today, real time in 2022, Meeples and Monsters was a hit for me. There you go, Meeples and Monsters. That's a good one. I Number five for me is the oldest game on my list, and this comes from that scattershot era of AEG, uh, and that is Istanbul, published in 2014 by Rudiger Dorn. Uh, AEG is the publisher, obviously. Don't need to say that. <laughs> Two to five players and 40 to 60 minutes. Istanbul is a game in which you have a, a leader and apprentices, and they're stacked discs, okay? And there is a whole marketplace. I think it's about 15 cards or 15 tiles. And you move to the tiles to take the action of that space. But as you go, you're dropping off assistance. And if you run out of assistance, you then need to keep and go go back and pick them up. And it's a race to, to collect uh, rubies from the marketplace. Whoever gets so many first wins the game. And it's a great little thinking puzzle of how you can... Uh, efficiently use the action spaces on the board without extending yourself too thin. I'm surprised it hasn't been a recommended game of the week yet. Is uh, it, it just comes down to availability. Or? Have you played it? Yeah, a long time ago. Oh, geez. Yeah, um, yeah I think uh, I think it is uh, an availability issue that kind of okay. goes goes in and out and fluctuates. So, But as for now, it is still number five on my list, and that is Istanbul. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's a great game. I... We're going to have crossover, but there's going to be some good games left out. Um, I do have one honorable mention I'll need to circle back to if you don't put it on your list. Number four for me, uh, I play a ton of the app. I just haven't played a lot of it at home because I don't quite have the gamers to play it, but I have it at home, and that is 2016's Mystic Veil, mm. designed by John D. Clare. Two to four players, uh, 45 minutes, ages 14 plus. The community says that it's 10 plus. The weight is 2.24 out of five for complexity. Little bit of a teach required with this one in Mystic Veil. You are selecting cards, and guess what? The cards actually have some transparency on them where there's an upper level, a middle level, and a bottom level. So you can stack these cards together to make super awesome cards. Um, and putting the cards in your hand and playing them out of your hand to try yeah. to buy other cards that have point values on them. Yeah, uh, one of the... Go ahead. Go, what, no, go ahead. One of the big kickers in this is that it's a, a it's a push your luck style as you're drawing. Yep. You make your cards better, but you're drawing cards out and you're trying to draw as many as you can without spoiling is what they call yeah. it. And then if you spoil, you basically skip your turn. And so you're you're constantly trying to to make your cards better and then have that really big turn. And sometimes it doesn't work out for you. And I, I great game could have been higher on my list, but um, just haven't played it in a while. Need to get that one back to the table. Actually packed it, though, today. We're, we're going on a road trip this weekend, and I'm hoping to play it with my brother-in-law. So number four for me is Mystic Veil. And a great app with that one, too. So, yeah. Uh, my number four is Calico, uh, published in 2020. The designer is Kevin Russ, one to four players, 30 to 45 minutes. This is a an abstract kind of tile-laying game where you are building a quilt, essentially, and you are trying to meet objectives by uh, the patterns and the colors that are on the quilt and where they are and whether they're next to each other or not next to each other. And if you make certain patterns, uh, cats will come and lay down on your, your quilt. You can add buttons, which are points, and all that type of stuff. But this is a very uh, crunchy puzzle. I haven't even dared to play it with Michael because of the color, I, 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 the colors, the, the color issues. But this is one of those things where you start out the game and the world is your oyster, trying to fill in, and then as the game progresses, and that that real estate that you have winnows down and gets tighter and tighter, and you're like, I need this exact swatch to come out, and that puzzle grind, I just I love. 
um, and that is Calico. Awesome. Yeah, I wish I could say it's on my want to playlist, but the colors, that's just one that I, I've shied away from. But cats and quilts, good stuff, Doug. Uh, number <laughs> allergic to both of them. Yes, just just cats. <laughs> no, I'm um, also allergic to quilts, any kind. Oh, I love quilts. <laughs> number three for me, also by designer John D. Clare. This is 2018's Space Base, and that's two words, space, space, <laughs> base. Space, space, base. And two to five players, 60 minutes. It, 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 if I'm playing with two players, I can get through it in 45 minutes, even sometimes a half hour. Ages 14 plus, community 10 plus, the weight is 2.11 out of five. This is just a fantastic game of where you are trying to buy ships. I think Doug might have a better description. You've probably played it a lot more than me. It is a game that's in my collection that, that I, I really enjoy. Um, what yeah. am I leaving out here? Yeah, it's Doug? very much like a Machi Koro style game where you roll dice, which then activate ships. But as you upgrade your and your ships are all associated with a number, and so there it is. You can upgrade those ships, and when they do, they get kind of a passive ability. So while they're in front of you, um, they activate on your turn. When they're in their passive ability, they activate on everybody else's turn. And when somebody rolls the two dice, you can choose to either use them collectively at, at the sum of those dice or individually. So I could activate my two and my four ship, or I could just activate my six ship. And so it's it's a really good game. It's not on my list. I think I appreciate the simplicity of Amachi Koro more. And uh, so that's why it's not, it's not on my list. I feel like there adds a little bit, a couple of elements that I think add to the complexity yeah i love the gameplay of it yeah i just i really enjoy playing space space and that yeah. that's why it is on my list at number three very good game uh my number three we talked about in episode number six this is point salad published in 2019 designed by molly johnson robert melvin and sean stankovich two to six players 15 to 30 minutes great game in which you are drafting uh, vegetable cards, and you're using you are either using the vegetable side of the card to add to your vegetable collection, or you're using the reverse side, which is a scoring mechanism for the vegetables that are in your collection. And Doug, can you confirm this is the only time that you have vegetables in your hand is when you're playing point salad? Is yes, that accurate? I, yes, I need to pull out a diagram to understand what the things on the what cards the vegetables were. are. No, yeah. Doug, that's an eggplant. What's a vegetable? <laughs> uh, right. I'm. I'm yeah, me and they don't get along with me. Oh, go ahead. Why, why is this such a great game, and why it's, do it's we just review so it in episode it's a, six? It's a simple teach, a simple gameplay, fast. That 30 minutes is a stretch if you'd ever get to 30 minutes. Again, um, fun. And the yeah. art is clean. It's crisp. A nice little set collection aspect in there. That's yeah, a good so one. Sim so simple. Great. Number two for me, and I promise this is the last time John D. Clare shows up on my list, John D. John DeClaire is only 60% of my list here. This is the 2019 Ecos. Hmm. Ecos is two to six players, 45 to 75 minutes, and it is all of that. Ages 14 plus, community says 12 plus. The weight is 2.6 out of five. It's the most complex game uh, on my list. As a reminder, uh, one to five is the complexity or the weight rating. One is going to be like patty cake or bingo. Five, your brain is going to melt. So a 2.6, uh, you'll need to read the rules and take a little bit of time to understand the game. The, where this one, the complexity is, there's a few different things going on. So you are pulling uh, great little wood tiles out of a bag, right, until a certain tile comes out that is the harbinger. Then you're going to pass that bag to the next person, uh, and they will start to pull tiles out of the bag. And you are trying to build an ecosystem with animals, um, and, and it, it, it's, it's a ton of fun. It's a game that, um, I really enjoy playing. I enjoy playing with my, my oldest child. Josie is fantastic at it. Uh, it's one that's brought us a lot of joy. Unfortunately, it might actually get replaced in our collection because of a game that's on our honorable mention. If it were up to me, I'd always have Ecos, but we have another game that I'm going to talk about in a few minutes that has some similarities to it. Well, and the, the big function of Ecos, uh, is, is a bingo. It's kind of a bingo mechanism oh, yeah. in which you are drawing 
those those tiles out of the bag and then everybody's placing on their own cards in front of them to activate abilities so it's got a little bit of that we talked about rise of augustus last week it takes Similar. that that concept and ratchet ratchets ratchets it up uh, a little bit more with with the complexity. Yeah, but the, the it also has a dial that gets turned that I I just really enjoy playing that game with how all the different facets work together. I think yep. it's a fantastic and very underrated game uh, myself, and I'll circle back to it in, in just a moment. All right. Well, my number two is I'm assuming the game that you're talking about that maybe a a ecos killer, and that is Cascadia. We talked about this one in episode 54 of our podcast published in 2021 the designer is randy flynn one to four players 30 to 45 minutes just a great little tile drafting game in which you are building an ecosystem in the pacific northwest to attract salmon deer bears eagles foxes who am i missing you got him all right and so you are scoring points by uh, how they are arranged, how those tiles are arranged, and how the animals are positioned. So you're trying to create large, uh, large habitats of of forests and river and stuff like that. Have those connected, but also have the animals in specific shapes to earn points. Um, and this is kind of the spiritual successor to Calico. Yeah. Um, same design studio, Flat Out Games. Flat Out Games. Yep. Uh, so they they started with Calico, and then they uh, Cascadia was their next one that came out, and a very a lot of commonalities between it, um, and and some people like one over the other, and. Clearly, I like Cascadia over Calico because it's higher on my list. <laughs> and Doug, when you're right, you are right. I have Cascadia as an honorable mention because this is my list. So these are the five games that I like to play. But in my household, Cascadia is loved. Uh, <laughs> my, my family really enjoys playing that game. And we seem to get that one to the table a lot more than Ecos simply because I think it's it's simpler yeah. And the it, the time, it's shorter. Ecos is a Saturday afternoon game, or hey, it's 7 o'clock. This is our game we're going to play for the next two hours because of the setup and takedown. All that being said, these are fantastic games, and we are splitting hairs over really good games. So. Yep. All right, what do you got, number one, Michael? Number one's point salad. Uh, you, you addressed Ooh. all of it. The only thing that I'll add, that game truly does get done in 15 minutes. That is also a party game. We have neighbors who... Who, you know, they'll play games, but this is one where uh, one of my friends doesn't really like a whole lot of complexity and point salad. You can pick it right up. So if you grew up playing euchre or sheep's head or Shanghai rummy or any of those things, a little bit of point salad will get thrown right in there and, and be a delicious game. So. Yeah, and certainly with adults, it is you bring up that point of of euchre and stuff like that. When you're playing this game with adults, it's certainly one that you can have side conversations and yeah. be having a whole have, conversation have a game on in the background while, have while kids the coming game over is, is cutting going up dessert on. Yep. play it two three four five rounds um take it with you if it's it fits in a purse or just fits in i keep it in the top of my backpack you know grab it out of the quiver i i love point salad i i really do it's a game that you introduced me to as i think most of these games are but uh that that that's my number one. What do you have at number one? Doug? Uh, my number one is from episode thirteen, and that is Tiny Towns, two thousand and nineteen. Peter McPherson is a designer, one to six players, forty-five to sixty minutes. This is uh, one of those that that fits similar to Calico. That thing that I love, which is that limited space as you go along. That tighter that puzzle gets tighter and tighter and crunchier, and how you're going to make things fit. Uh, the way that this game works is as people call out, uh, you take turns calling out a material and you have to add that material, that cube represented by a cube. You need to add that to your player board, which yeah. is a grid of a town. And once you get a certain combination of materials, you can build a building, build that, that structure and, and it replaces. Yeah. And that structure cubes. goes in one of the spots that your cubes were in. And so as you keep adding buildings, your space to put materials is limited. And, and that struggle uh, is just great. There's a huge amount of variety in the game. Simple to learn. You can take away some of the pressure by playing with the, the town crier mode where the, the materials are determined by random. randomized. Yep. Uh, so just a lot of great things going on in this one. No 
no surprise, we talked about it in episode 13. I'm assuming this is a color issue for you that maybe this was not on the list? No, I just, for my list, those are my five games. It's yeah. tough. Yeah. AEG, I, I had yeah. 12 games in my own collection that I'm sorting through that I thought could be in the top five. And at the end of the day, and I shuffled my list a little bit, this is my list of top five games. Yeah. Now, on, on my wife's list, which we just did a few <laughs> weeks ago, Tiny Towns was right up there as one of her favorite games of all time. Yeah. And this is also going in the van this weekend on the road trip. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a fantastic game. I, I love that game. I'll play it any day of the week. It just didn't make my top five. Yeah, and there's a, a lot of great games. You mentioned Mystic Veil, which didn't make my list. There was um, thought about... Uh, Batman Love Letter, which sounds funny, yeah. but there's just another great simple game. Well, any of the Love Letter, right? The, the original Love Letter, uh, AEG was the first to publish it. They no longer are the publisher of that, but um, you know, so they've got a lot of a lot of great games and certainly a lot of things that uh, you know. You mentioned Meeples and Monsters. I'm excited about. We just got Dead Reckoning um, from John D. I, I Clare. Know, so. I almost played that on solo just to get ready for this list, <laughs> but I didn't think that would be authentic. And and if you wonder why we're looking over. Over here, it's because that's where Doug has his AEG titles on the shelf, for those of you who are watching us on YouTube. I, I really like the games that they've been putting out. I like the complexity and the weight and, and just the accessibility as well. These are the, the games that we've talked about range from, hey, I'm going to play this with my kids and with with, with f- friends who don't really play a whole lot of games to this is a game night game like yeah. Meeples and Monsters was. So, Yeah, so that is our high five AEG games. And that's going to do it for us this week. I just want to remind everybody to uh, subscribe to us on whatever listening device you use for your podcast, whether that's Spotify, Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, whatever Google does, your Pocket Cast, um, all those type of things. Uh, Check us out on on Twitter and Facebook at GameSchoolerU is our handle. Again, check out our website. We've got all our recommended games. Uh, This video will be posted there and a whole bunch of other educational materials that you might want to take a look at. We've got that. That's gameschooler.com. If you've got questions, email us at email at gameschooler.com. Get out there and keep game schooling.